0: And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, kill and eat. But Peter said, "By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean." And the voice came to him again a second time, "What God has made clean, do not call common." This happened 3 times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision had seen might mean, behold, the men who sent who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was spoken well of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers with Joppa accompanied them, him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them And had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. As he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of any other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person Common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why you sent for me? Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Phew. Take a drink of water. <laughs> Somebody help me. This isn't even the preach; It's just the scripture. Amen. We are witnesses of all that he did. Both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, thanks James, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Lord bless Steve as he expounds this passage of Scripture.
1: Amen. <laughs> bless Nick with good recovery. <clears throat> Well, good morning, everyone. It's a fantastic day in Cape Town today. Let's hope uh, summer has finally arrived. It's been a bit disappointing up until now, but a beautiful day to have you here, and a special welcome to those of you who are guests this morning. So, Nick, thanks for reading a long portion of Scripture. The Bible says that we are to give ourselves to the reading of Scripture publicly, and uh, God forbid the day that we become weary of hearing Scripture read in church. it's one of the things that I'd like to see more of happen is, uh, you know, lengthier portions of Scripture read in church. I think it's a good thing. Uh, not only that, Acts chapter 10 is kind of like a self-contained story. It, um, you know, it tells the, conv- uh, tells the story of the conversion of the first Gentiles, and we can't really cut that up uh, because I want to make some comments on the whole of Acts chapter 10 today as we go through it. So, this being a, um, a portion of scripture which speaks about the preaching of the gospel and of the conversion of the first Gentiles, uh, like most of us in this room are, are Gentiles, we're not Jewish, uh, I'm going to address my sermon this morning in part to those of you who perhaps have never made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard about Him, you're here in church this morning, but perhaps you've, you've not taken that step. And... Uh, I'm going to aim to to show you three things today from this portion of Scripture. Firstly, that God's salvation was never only for the Jews. That God's purpose, eternal purposes from the very beginning of time in Christ Jesus was that the good news of the gospel, the good news of God's salvation should be preached, as the book of Revelation says, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So that was always God's plan, that the whole world should be saved, or that people from all the world should be saved. My second thing that I want to show you today is that being a good person, or being a religious person, uh, religious in the sense of tradition, traditional values, those things, as good as they are, cannot save you, but only the preaching of the gospel, faith in the gospel message Can save you. And then lastly, I want to show you from this story, um, because it illustrates so clearly for us, that God is a compassionate God. That God is a God of of mercy, that His heart is that we should be at peace with Him and that we should enjoy fellowship with Him. All right, so first point uh, the Jewish only gospel or the fallacy. Up until this point in the spread of the early church, as it's recorded in the book of Acts, the gospel had only been preached to the Jews up until that point. And we have to understand the mind of a Jewish point, uh, a person at this point in history, and uh, in part all the way through to today, in fact, that the Jewish people took great pride in their national heritage, that they were, you know, the, the, the chosen nation of God, they were God's own chosen people. And they had massive nationalistic pride around that. Issue. And uh, of course, it had all begun uh, two and a half thousand years before this event in Cornelius' house when God had called a man named Abram, who later changed his name to Abraham. He called him out of idolatry. Uh, he sovereignly chose this man. This man had no idea who God was. God spoke to him, gave him a certain instruction you need to leave this place. And then he gave him the most incredible promise. And this is, in fact, one of the first times the gospel is preached in the Bible when God speaks to Abraham and he says to him, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the nations, not just the nation that comes from you. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And um, Abraham, you know, obviously uh, obeyed that command. He left his home and he began seeking this, this homeland that God had promised him. Now, in a sense, all of us sitting here today are the fulfillment, or we are a continuing fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham. Uh, We, today, as we listen to the preaching of the gospel, we are participating in the blessing to all the nations that God promised to Abraham four and a half thousand years ago. That's an amazing thing. So God revealed himself in incredible ways to, to this man, Abraham, and then to his son, Isaac. Uh, repeated the same promise through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed and then he repeated the same promise to Isaac's son. The Bible says through two or three witnesses every uh, matter will be established so God taking a leaf out of his own rules he established the covenant with three generations Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel uh, which which means um, uh, wrestled with God and we know that uh, That not only is an apt description of of Jacob himself who wrestled physically with uh, the angel of the Lord, but it's a great description of the people of Israel throughout the history of the world. The the nation of the Jews have wrestled with God and they walk with a limp today. You know the many things that the Jews have been through. But in the end, the remnant of Israel will be brought in. All Israel will be saved. So... um, God revealed himself to this nation. He revealed himself to Abraham's descendants, the 12 tribes of Israel. Those are the 12 sons of Jacob. And uh, through through the, the years, he revealed himself through Moses, of course. He revealed his righteousness, his nature to this little chosen group of people. He began to reveal that there is a God and that what this God is like. And that was beginning on Mount Sinai when Moses received the law. And then through the following generations, God continued to reveal himself to the nation of Israel through the prophets. And then finally, God revealed himself perfectly to the nation of Israel by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, into that nation of Israel. Um, His son was born of a virgin. No man was his father. God was his father. And he was born into the nation of Israel. He was a Jew. His his coming, uh, the Messiah had been expected. It had been prophesied for thousands of years. They were looking out for the Messiah. Only when he arrived, he didn't look anything like they thought he would look. And so they rejected him. And they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But you know, the Bible says a fascinating thing that... Although Jesus died at the hands of the Jews uh, through the instrument of the Romans, it was actually God the Father himself who orchestrated all of these events that his son should be crucified. God himself did it to his own son. Why? He did it so that he could unleash the full weight of his wrath for our sins upon his own son. His son became a sacrifice for sin for all those who would believe in him. He did it for us. But we thank God that's not where the story ends. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He walked out of that tomb in the body that he died in. And uh, he was seen 40 days after his resurrection. He was seen by the disciples. He ate meals with them. At one time, he was seen by, uh, by over 500 people who knew that he was risen from the dead, and after that 40 days, he ascended into heaven, and the Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of, heaven, uh, right hand of God in heaven today, and he is waiting for the day of his return. Only the Father knows when that day will come, but Jesus is waiting, and when he returns, he will gather together all those who have believed in him, and they will go with him to be with him for all eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. It's a wonderful promise that God has made us in the gospel, isn't it? One of the mistakes that the Jewish people made uh, throughout history, and in fact have continued to make, is that they've placed inordinate emphasis on their nationalistic calling from God. It's somehow they came to believe that the calling that they had from God as God's own people was to establish a nation an earthly nation, an earthly kingdom that would rule the earth, much like David and Solomon's kingdom, when they were the most powerful nation on earth. And that's seen in uh, you know, the ruling Jewish party, the Sadducees who ruled Israel at the time of Jesus. They didn't even believe that there was life after death. I mean, that's the extreme to which they had gone in believing that their call as God's people was to establish an earthly kingdom. But their call was never to establish an earthly kingdom. Their calling as the Jews was to be the the, the custodians of salvation for all the earth, that all the nations of the world might be saved. That was their calling. For God to save sinful man, he had to prepare a people for himself. He had to reveal himself to a chosen people, start revealing his nature and his character. He had to start revealing their sinfulness and their need for a savior. Then he had to start sending prophets and prophesy about this Messiah so that eventually, after 2,000 years of preparation in this small nation of people, he could send his son into a group of people who would know who he was. That was the role of the Jews. They were to be the recipients of the Messiah so that all the nations of the earth could be blessed. But the Jews totally missed it. They never understood their calling. And I want to have a look at a couple of verses from the Bible that just prove this point to you. Um, We've already looked at one when God called Abraham. He said, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to have a look at a couple from Isaiah and then some words from Jesus himself. (coughs) Um... Uh, Paul actually quotes Isaiah in Romans chapter 15, and he says this, There shall be a root of Jesse, a root that grows out of Jesse. Jesse was David's father, and Jesus was to be born in the tribe of Judah from the lineage of David. So there will be a root from Jesse. He shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles shall hope. So according to the prophets, the hope of the Gentiles was none other than the Jewish Messiah. Uh, Again, listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 49, verse 6. Indeed, God says, "It is This is a fascinating scripture because this is God the Father speaking to God the Son. It's one of those rare moments in scripture where we get to witness the, the communion and the communication within the Trinity itself. So God says to God the Son, Indeed, God says, it is too small a thing that you, my son, the Messiah, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. That's too small a thing for you, my son. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. It was quite clear to the Jews, but they missed it. Listen to the words of Jesus himself. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. And as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I laid down my life for the sheep. Notice Jesus didn't lay down his life for everyone indiscriminately in the earth. He laid down his life for a chosen group of people called his sheep. Now, if that's true, then we would expect Jesus to talk about people being His sheep before they're even saved. You think about that. Listen to what Jesus says. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. What's He talking about? Other sheep I have that are not from the nation of Israel, not from the fold of Israel, I have them already, Jesus says. They are already my sheep. And them I must also bring. And they will hear my voice. There's your irresistible grace right there. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is a. The Bible uses a, a several analogies to describe this mystery to us. Ephesians talks about the mystery that was hidden and now has been revealed. That God would s- remove the separating wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And they would become one body with one head, Christ. Here Jesus uses the analogy of one flock with one shepherd. And so this whole concept was quite clear. We've seen it in the call of Abraham, we've seen it in the prophets, we've seen it in the words of Jesus himself, this concept that God always also wanted to save the Gentiles was quite clear. And yet the Jews, in their arrogance and their rebellion against God, they became an elitist nation and they looked down their noses at the Gentiles. They thought they were better than the Gentiles. They didn't understand the grace of God that He'd given them to be the custodians of salvation, that they needed to be saved just as much as the Gentiles needed to be saved. So um, we see this in Peter's words to Cornelius. He says, do you know how unlawful it is for me as a Jew to even enter the house Of a Gentile. Now, how on earth was the gospel going to go into all the earth and save all the nations of the earth as as God had prophesied that it would if the custodians of the gospel weren't even allowed to enter the houses of the Gentiles? If God wanted to save the Gentiles, if He wanted the gospel to break out of this Jewish circle, He had to do something unprecedented, un- something miraculous, something marvelous, and that's exactly what we see him do in Acts chapter 10 in a little town called Caesarea. So miraculous, so marvelous, we would not expect him to do this sort of thing again. He needed to do this to get the gospel out of Israel into the land of the Gentiles. So that's, uh, that's my first point here today, that that God's salvation was never only for the Jews, that it was always for the Gentiles. That God's heart has been to save people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. So my second point to you today is that being a good person or being a religious person will never save you. Only the preaching of the gospel and faith in that gospel can save you. So we find ourselves at the beginning of Acts chapter 10 in a little town called Caesarea or Caesarea, Tomato, tomato, doesn't matter. And Caesarea was a little town uh, which had been built by uh, Herod the Great in 20 BC, uh, the same year, in fact, that Herod the Great began building the Second Temple. Uh, there have been two Jewish temples in uh, human history. The one was built by Solomon, that was destroyed by the Babylonians in uh, whatever it was, 586 BC or something, when they uh, sacked Jerusalem. And then uh, Herod the Great um, rebuilt the temple beginning in 20 BC, the same year he built Caesarea as a town. And of course, that temple was destroyed later, uh, which we'll we'll get to in a a, a minute. So we also see that uh, we're introduced in the beginning of Acts chapter 10 to a man called Cornelius, who lived and worked in Caesarea. He was a ranking Roman soldier. Uh, He was a Gentile, not a Jew. And could we find a more unlikely candidate for God to choose to be the first Gentile convert to Christianity? A more unlikely candidate. To help you ponder that question, here's a little bit of history. In 63 BC, so this is now about a hundred years before this event in Cornelius' house, um, the Roman general Pompey conquered uh, Jerusalem, and he annexed Israel and he subjected it to Roman rule. And except for a period of about three years where they liberated, liberated themselves, Israel was under Roman rule for the next 400 years. <clears throat> so Jesus was born into Israel when it was a Roman uh, colony or it was under Roman rule. Uh, Jesus, of course, was crucified by the Romans. And uh, he, he then uh, rose from the dead. Uh, He was crucified in about uh, 30 A.D. The dates are a little bit hazy. We could be three or four years out. He may have been born in about 4 B.C., somewhere around there, but he was crucified around 30. And then 40 years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, 40 being the number of testing and trial in the Bible. God often uses the, a period of 40, 40 days or 40 years, to give people a window period to repent. When Jonah went to Nineveh, they had 40 days to repent. Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights. Moses was on the mountain 40 days, 40 nights, etc. We can go on, there's many examples. 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, sorry, 40, yeah, 40 days he ascended into heaven, and 40 years after he rose from the dead in AD 30. In 870, the Jews having had 40 years to repent of killing the Messiah, most of them still rejected Him, uh, Jerusalem was totally destroyed. The future emperor, uh, Roman emperor, Titus, came into Jerusalem, destroyed it. He destroyed the temple. He burned it with fire. And in fact, the, the prophecy of Jesus when He said, not one stone of the temple will be left on another. Uh, as the story goes, that was fulfilled. When they, when they set the temple on fire, all the gold of the temple melted and went be, between the cracks of these massive stones. And when the whole thing had cooled down, the fire had gone out, the Roman soldiers came, they lifted the stones off, what, uh, off each other to get at that gold. And Jesus' prophecy was literally fulfilled. Not one stone was left upon another. Also, just as a sort of parenthetical comment, as an incidental, um, interesting that This is one of the ways that we know that the Jewish Messiah had to have been born before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. Why do we know that? Because the Bible says that the the Messiah would be born into the tribe of Judah. And he would be born in the lineage of King David. But when 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 the temple was destroyed in AD 70, all of the genealogical records were destroyed along with the temple. So there's no Jew today who can tell you what tribe he's from. They don't know. All the records were destroyed in 70 AD. So that prophecy of Jesus being born in the tribe of Judah can no longer be fulfilled. We know he had to have been born before 70 AD. But hallelujah, we know he was born in about naught, and his name was Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so could God have chosen a more unlikely candidate for, for the first first non-Jewish Gentile convert to Christianity, given that all the Roman soldier army had done and would continue to do to Israel. I mean, they were the arch enemies of God's people, and yet God chooses a ranking Roman soldier. But isn't that the point? Isn't that what God is showing, that anyone can be saved? Whether you are Jew or whether you are an enemy of God, if you will repent and believe in the gospel, you can be saved. What a picture of God's grace in choosing this man for salvation. So this little town of uh, Caesarea had some history. We know that Jesus himself had been to Caesarea. It was in Caesarea that Jesus asked that famous question of his disciples, who do you say that I am? he asks the same question of you today, by the way. Who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter gave his famous answer. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in Jesus' response to Peter's comment that he was the Messiah, um, Peter says, Jesus says to Peter, this is one of the things he said to him, and this happened in Caesarea. He said, I will give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And here it was in Caesarea that Peter uses those keys to unlock the kingdom of heaven to the entire Gentile world. I've never noticed that before until I was preparing for today. So, have you walked through those doors yet? They've been opened to you. No longer is the way to heaven obscured, no longer is it blocked. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to obey the law. Have you walked through those doors? They're open for you. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's more to the story. So the Bible says that Cornelius, not only was he a ranking Roman soldier, but he was a God-fearing man. It's an odd twist. He was... A man with a generous heart, he gave alms regularly to the poor. And he was a man who had enough faith in the God of the Hebrews to pray regularly. The says he, he used to pray often. In fact, when that angel appeared to him, he was in prayer, fasting and prayer. He was a religious man. There were signs that God had been at work in this man's life for quite some time. Jesus said, No one can come to me. That's a statement of ability, of inability. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Quite clearly, God had been drawing this man and his family for quite some time. Peter even said to to Cornelius in his sermon to them, He said, You guys know the word about Jesus Christ. Let's read uh, verse 36. I'll just read it to you. This is Peter speaking to the household of Cornelius. He said, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He's Lord of all, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good because God was with Him healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. So Peter says to Cornelius, you guys know about that. They knew about Jesus. They knew who he was. They'd heard rumors about this gospel message. He was a religious man. He was a good man. Now you may be sitting here today and you may never have had that conversion experience where you've been born again and you felt the weight of your sin lift off of you as you've received a revelation of who Jesus Christ is as your Savior. That may never have happened to you, but you are here today sitting in church on a beautiful morning when you could be at the beach. You are here this morning because you feel something drawing you to the God of the Bible. There's something drawing you. And I want to encourage you. You are welcome here in this church. You you may be a prostitute, you may be a, a, a drug dealer, you may be a practicing homosexual, you may be a spiritist or a medium or a fortune teller, you might be a fornicator having sex outside of marriage, you might be a drunkard or a thief. And as a gospel preacher, I must warn you to turn away from your sin. It will only destroy you in this life, and for eternity in the next. But while you are responding to this drawing that you feel to God and the conviction of your sin that you feel in your heart, I want to encourage you to keep coming back here. Get a Bible and read it. Get together with a Christian friend that maybe invited you here and talk about the the matters of the Bible, because it may just be that as you hear the preaching of the gospel, that God will visit you. He will fall upon you as he fell upon Cornelius that day in his house, and he will supernaturally open your eyes, and you will see Jesus Christ in all his glory as your Savior. And we pray for you that God will do that for you. We don't look down our noses at you. Every one of us is a sinner just like you. We've needed this forgiveness just as you do. You are welcome here. On the other hand, you may be here and you think that you're a pretty good person. You might even see yourself as a religious person. You believe there is a God, and you, you, you know, you've never done anything too bad. You've never stolen anything. There's plenty of people worse than you. Cornelius was a just and holy man. He was a generous man. He gave a lot of money away. He believed in God. He even knew about Jesus, as you may know about Jesus. But the Bible says that despite all of this good, so-called good in him, he still needed to be saved. I want you to, just listen, I'm going to read it to you. This is Peter's rendering of what happened in the next chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 11. This is Peter, he's now back in Jerusalem. And he's defending himself. He's telling the story of what happened because the Jews are criticizing him for having gone into a Gentile's house. So this is now Peter telling the story. Acts chapter 11, verse 13. He says, And Cornelius told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. Now, that's slightly different wording to how Luke records the words of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. What's happening here? The Holy Spirit often does this in Scripture. He will give you two renderings of a conversation. And then we lay them one atop of of, of the other so that we can understand the full depth and breadth of what Cornelius actually heard when this angel visited him and spoke to him. And here's what he heard. He heard Cornelius, you may be a good man, you may give lots of money away, you may be a religious man and pray often and fast, but you still need to be saved. And the way you're going to be saved is by calling someone and they will preach a message to you by which you will be saved. So this is my second point to you today. Being a good person, being a religious person is not sufficient to save you. My friend, listen to me, please. Because I used to be like this. I used to see myself as as being on a a scale. If I did enough good things, I could outweigh the bad things. And and then if I died, I'd be okay because I did enough good things. And God would say I was a good boy. The gospel message totally strips us of all of our self-pretended righteousness. The gospel message says that we need to be saved through the gospel, through faith In Jesus Christ alone. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot do enough good things to earn a a, a standing in heaven. You you will not get to the gates of heaven on the day of judgment and stand before a holy, righteous, glorious God and say to Him, "You, You need to let me in because I did some good things. I gave some money away. It doesn't work that way. It is already too late for you. It's already too late. The Bible says that you need to be saved because you are a wretched sinner just like me. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself. You have already sinned. Your filth, the filth of your thoughts this morning are enough to send you to hell. You, and you, your sense of humor... Your uh, ability to manipulate people, that won't get you into heaven on the day of judgment. There is no hiding from the judgment of God. Now you may say to me, Stephen, I don't like preaching like this. I prefer for you to just tell us that God is love and God is peace and everything's going to be okay. But my friends, let me tell you, out of love, the simple fact of the matter is that everything is not okay. It's not okay. And unless you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, who was given for your salvation, if you reject Him, the wrath of God remains on you and will do so for all eternity. That's why you need to be saved. You know, if being a good person... And being a religious person and praying regularly and giving money away, if that kind of thing was enough to get us into heaven, then Cornelius did not need the gospel. Because he did all those things better than you and I have ever done. them. But he needed to be saved. And God has chosen the communication of the truth of the gospel message. That's what he's chosen as his instrument to save his elect. So said another way, the preaching of the gospel, the message of the gospel, is the voice of the shepherd which his sheep hear and come and follow. Now, this is an important thing because I've heard in some circles people talk about the power of prayer to bring revival. And there have been many books written saying that prayer is the key to revival. Revival. And while I will never be dismissive of the importance and the power of prayer in in seeing God move in power in the world as we long to see Him move, in fact, we see it in the story. Both Peter and Cornelius in this story were in prayer when God met them, both of them. But as powerful as prayer is and as important as it is, folks, we have to understand this. Prayer alone will never save anybody. I've heard testimonies about how Jesus is miraculously appearing to Muslims in the closed Muslim countries. He's appearing in dreams and they're sovereignly having the gospel revealed to them. And folks, while I will never, I don't question that at all and I will never question anyone's personal testimony of how they got saved But as a church, we need to put experiences like that behind us, put them out of our minds, and we need to commit to preaching the whole unfettered gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the instrument that God has chosen to save the world the preaching of the gospel. It takes gospel preachers to bring revival. Let's see what uh, Paul had to say about this in the book of Romans. Having just talked about how. The gospel is for both Jew and Gentile. Paul says this, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. Megan, and Dave, I, uh, I felt to share with you this morning that as you go to PE, the Lord is saying you have beautiful feet. He sees you as having beautiful feet because you're carrying the gospel of his peace into that city. It's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> think about this whole complicated way in which God got the gospel to Cornelius. Just think about it. wouldn't Wouldn't it just have been easier for God to reveal the gospel in a dream to Cornelius? Or maybe even just instructed the angel that came and spoke to him to explain the gospel message to him. Oh, okay, I must believe, have faith in Christ, and I can be saved. But no, that's not God's way. God has chosen that we who have been unworthy and have been saved by this great salvation... We then become the carriers of this gospel to others who haven't yet been saved. That's His way, and so God sends an angel, says, "Send men to Joppa." Then Peter he sees this vision of the sheet. God basically says, "It's don't call anything common or unclean that I have called clean. You can go into the house of the gentile." He then hears the Spirit saying, "Go with the men." He travels a whole day to go and. To go and preach the gospel, and then he preaches the whole gospel to them. And only having done all of this convoluted heavenly planning and bringing Peter to this man's house, only once he had preached the gospel. And you go and read Acts chapter 10, what he preached. He preached the gospel. He preached the death of Jesus Christ. He preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He preached the judgment of the living and the dead. Judgment day. And he preached repentance, fear of God, and faith in Jesus Christ. And he finishes with these words. He says that, um, that through, the, the, through God, he will open the eyes of the Gentiles through all her, and provide forgiveness of sins to everyone who believes in his name. And as Peter finishes his sermon, or he, he probably wasn't finished his sermon, he was in mid-sermon, but as soon as he had preached, repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fell like an anvil out of heaven, like like a lightning bolt from heaven and fell on this group of people in this room and they were filled, they were saved and they were filled with the Spirit of God. They were all speaking in tongues. What an incredible bursting forth of the salvation that the gospel message brings. We must never lose our urgency for prayer as a church because prayer moves the arm of God, but we must never lose our commitment to preaching the whole gospel. And that's my second point to you today, that being a good person, a religious person, will not save you. Only through faith in the message of the gospel can you be saved. That is how God has made provision for you to be saved. And then lastly, finish with this, we see that God is a compassionate God in the story. In Psalm 103, David said this about God. If you want to know what God is like, this is what God is like. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, <coughs> so the Lord pities those who fear Him, for He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Did you notice how quickly the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and his family as the words of repentance and faith were still on the lips of Peter. They were barely off his lips and the Holy Spirit fell. It only took a split second of humble faith, a split second of humble faith in that message of the gospel in these hungry people's hearts and they were saved. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, Jesus said. And Cornelius and his family, they were hungry and they were thirsty for righteousness. Their hearts were humble as they heard the gospel. Is your heart humble this morning as you hear the gospel? What kind of a heart does the gospel fall upon today? Because God is not interested in humiliating you. He's not some megalomaniac, power-hungry tyrant who gets a thrill out of people groveling at his feet. No, God's heart is that we should be reconciled to him, that we should have peace with him. God's heart is that we should be adopted as his sons and his daughters and be fellow heirs of his entire kingdom with his son Jesus Christ. But folks, the truth of the matter is, reality is, that for us to be reconciled with a holy, righteous, awesome God, we have to repent. Which means we have to be humble. We have to be willing to admit our sinfulness and turn away from our sinfulness. But as soon as God sees the broken heart and the contrite spirit, he falls upon that person in his mercy. He's like a father reaching out his hands to rebellious children, saying, turn away from your sin, my child. It'll only destroy you, man. Turn to me. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Do you remember the, the parable of the prodigal son? And when that wayward son came to his senses and his pride had been broken in that pigsty and his heart was now repentant, and he said, I will arise and I will go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But The Bible says when his father was was watching for him, when his son was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him. And he ran to him, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him, and he put his arms around him. And the son began to repent, and he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he could even finish his sentence, the father was tripping over his robe, saying, bring out the battered calf, bring out a robe and put it on him, and bring a ring and put it on his fingers and sandals, and put them on his feet, because this is my son who was lost. He's been found. That's God's heart for you. If you've never come to Christ, I beg of you today. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your life of sin and come to Jesus Christ. And he won't just forgive you. He'll put a robe around you and he'll put a ring on your finger and he'll put sandals on your feet and he'll wrap his arms around you and you will hear his voice as his lips touch your ear. Saying, my son, my daughter, It's so good to have you home. Let's pray. Father, we give you so much thanks today for this message of the gospel, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you chose not just to save a small group of people, but you chose to save many people from many nations, God, and we are participants, we are beneficiaries of that grace today, Lord. God, we thank you for saving the Gentiles, God, because without that we had no hope. And Lord, we thank you that you made a way by sending your son to die for us. We thank you that you raised him from the dead and that he can give us eternal life. And we thank you, God, that all this shows your great mercy, Lord. All this demonstrates your kindness and your grace and your compassion, Lord. We worship you for it this morning, God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Nick.